Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Find out how you can get your own Drobo at D-R-O-B-O dot com slash twip. Hey everybody, we're back for yet another show. We've got uh, the whole crew here. Uh, Scott is uh, coming in from Gig Harbor. Hey, Scott. Hello. Back from New Mexico. How, you drove all the way, didn't you? Drove through eight states, 4,400 miles, Sick. 17 days, and I used $1.29 worth of gas. Because <laughs> you, 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 you have an electric car? No, just kidding. Um, I was just, to tell you the truth, I felt like randomly putting gas in the truck because it was so cheap compared to my last road trip when I was driving the Benz back in the day, the gallons of uh, premium gas were 560. Right. Uh, I just felt like putting the gas pump on the grass. It was so cheap. <laughs> Coming in from uh, New York, we've got uh, Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. Hey, guys. Good to see you all. You, in those days, gas used to come in corked bottles, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Uh, and uh, coming in from uh, Seattle, we've got Ron Brinkman. Yes, Seattle. Seattle, not Hermosa Beach, but it sounds like it'll be a little chilly, a little chilly in Seattle. They're, they're predicting the coldest uh, weather in like 18 years here in Seattle, which you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> that just excites me. Also uh, coming in from San Jose, we've got uh, Frederick Johnson. Hello, hello. Hey, and... Uh, and we're going to have uh, Nicole Young on a little bit later, so stay tuned for that. And uh, we, uh, we're very excited to have her on the show. So, uh, so that'll be coming up uh, in about 20 minutes. And uh, right now, uh, we've got to remi- remind everybody that we've got a new linking contest. Uh, Scott, can you fill everybody in? Same, uh, you know, same chapter, same different verse, whatever. We just put a link on your blog or po- uh, you know, podcast or website to us. And if you're 18 years or older and you live in the U.S., we'll send you stuff. If we pick yours at random at the end of the quarter, we do it every quarter. It's a lot of secrets there, too, that you're giving away. No, no Canadians. No Canadians. No, no Canadians because of the lawyers. If you don't, like the, you, know, you don't like that, I want you to go to your government in Ottawa and throw them all out and change the laws up there, and then we'll try. My, my people are just not happy, but we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> you, you know what? Scott, does, does, Twitter, does Twitter count as a website? No, it doesn't. Okay. Make sure. <laughs> <laughs> However, you can get a free blog if you're listening and you say, well, I can't link to you because I don't have a blog. You get a free one from Google. It's no big deal. Yeah, exactly. Just throw it on there. And then also there is a, you've got an Aperture Nature Photography Contest. Well, we just announced the winners of that at f64.com. There are four contests. We've been through two now, and the four lucky winners that get their free trip to Yosemite have just been announced. Their pictures and their names are up there on the site. And right after Macworld, uh, we'll be, Steve and I are amongst the leaders that will be taking that workshop out, and we'll be going to cold, cold, frigid Yosemite, hopefully. Nice. Nice. Uh, and uh, we've got Twip Photo has, you have, we have a Software products of the year. This is our. This is our. This is the first year, right? This is this is the the well, inaugural year. Since this is year. the first year for Twip, I thought that's probably pretty close. Yeah. 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 So um. So our uh, our software product of the year, Nick Software's Silver Effects Pro plugin. Uh, Scott, can you give give people a little background on that? Yeah, it's an amazing plugin that turns your images into monochrome. You know, black and white stuff. It it, uh, it does a better job of it than anything I've ever seen. I spent 18 years printing black and white in a wet dark room, and never ever 
made a print as good as I'm able to make on my Epson 3800 using uh, Nick's uh, Silver FX Pro. And this was an easy pick, too, because, Alex, it doesn't, it doesn't start the Lightroom versus Aperture War because it, it works in some Adobe products, at least in, in Photoshop, and it works in Aperture as well. So it was, it's something everybody can enjoy. And uh, I, I really like it. And by the way, these awards were largely based on input we solicited and received at the blog. Fantastic. And, and the hardware product of the year uh, from, uh, from our uh, readers there, the Canon 5D Mark II. Actually, no. The Nikon D700. I don't know. How <laughs> 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 see, see, so I, I, uh, I, I'm just reading the notes. and uh, Actually, if you refresh, I think you'll see it says... Okay, it was, we had a, so it was close, though, obviously. See, this was a photo finish between the it two. Was very, it was very close. And to tell you the truth, the original plan was to give it to both. Right. But I'm sorry to say, having my own 5D Mark II in hand to test this on and hearing from lots of our listeners... They've managed to do it again, my friends. Uh, the the black dot problem now on the 5D Mark II. Uh, no, no, can you give us a little information about this black? Yeah, I haven't heard about this black dot. yet. Either well, when you shoot, when you photograph something that has you know lots of bright, um, if there's lots of specularity in an image, then for some mysterious reason on some 5D Mark IIs, there's this black dot that appears next to the specularity. And it's not, it doesn't appear to be something based on the sensor because it's not always at the same place. Um, nevertheless, having gone through the debacle of the, the, the 1D Mark III thing where they tried to tell us there was nothing wrong with our autofocus, even there, though there was, I got nervous about this and I thought, you know, if you'll remember, I always said the 5D Mark II looks great on paper. We got to test it to make sure it lives up to the hype. And it does in almost every way. But that and that one little difference was enough to like, you know, say, um, sorry, you don't, you don't get to tie. And our audience overwhelmingly selected the D700, which made that easy. Did, did you see this problem yourself with your, your own camera? I did indeed. Yes. Wow. I did indeed. Now, does it appear to be on every single camera? So, Scott, is it like when you're shooting, like, say, a, a, something chrome in bright sunlight? It, it shows up in that, in that area of washed out? It show, it's easier to spot when you look at something like if you're shooting star photography or, mm -hmm. you know, when you're shooting at night and there's lots of bright lights in the, in the night shot, like stream headlights or something. But I found it to be any time there's high specularity against a dark background. Mm -hmm. huh. Now, I'm going to test a different 5D Mark II today, in fact, right after this show. So we think it's something in there. We, it doesn't seem to be the sensor. Well, and, and here's the thing that's a little bit different about this problem than in past issues with Canon cameras. Canon has this time acknowledged that this is not all in our minds. Right off the bat, they said, yep, we think there's a problem. Wow. So they're acknowledging it. So it, it's, it's for them to do that means they agree. Now they're going to try to get a fix. It seems to me like it ought to be something pretty easy to fix in the firmware. No, hopefully, because otherwise and I don't it gets believe to be really that expensive. This I don't, a, this doesn't affect every Canon Canon from what I've heard, every 5D Mark II. B, it may not affect you at all if your personal shooting style is to never shoot anything with high specularity against dark backgrounds. Right. So, I mean, unless, you're, you, you, know, unless you do nothing but astral photography, for instance, it might be possible that even if your camera has this problem, you'd never notice. It's not necessarily going to be a problem for everybody. But um, Something to look out make for. Me it made me nervous, and uh, I sent it back. Right, right. Oh. Wow. 
you had and it I in just, your hands. You know, I, I I got burned pretty bad on the one D Mark III thing. So now, did you did you uh, shoot any video with it? I did. What do you think? And the video I'm happy to report uh, is easier to shoot than it was on the D90 because you can use the contrast based autofocus. Now that's slow, mind you. Right. But at least you can do it. Right. Um, and, of course, you don't get quite the same look because it's 30 frames a second. I know, Alex, you have strong opinions about that. But it definitely is easier to work. And, uh, once again, as long as you're mounted on a tripod, no problem with the CMOS sensor causing the shimmying. Mm -hmm. I do think it's a much better video solution than the D90. Interesting. Very good. Now, well, tell, tell everybody why you like the 24 frames per second, just in case they don't know. Well, it's, it's mostly that it's, you know, it, th the 30 frames a second is fine. It's just that you, if you're going to build this out, you might as well have a 24p. There's no reason not to have a 24p version, and that's what is going to match film. I mean, that, you know, that's, you know, and there's a, there's a few reasons for that. One is, is that it, it looks more film-like. Um, you know, it, 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 you can match it into something that you would be normally shooting that way. Also, you know, from a, from a purely practical perspective, um, you're getting, uh, you know, it's less bandwidth. It's a fifth, less, a fifth less bandwidth if you're uh, working with it and putting it up online and so on and so forth in 30 frames a second. So both uh, creatively and, and <coughs> the, the thing that's kind of frustrating is just that it's just not that hard to add it. Yeah, it's you just know, annoying that they have the higher bandwidth problem solved and it's trivial to do the lower bandwidth version and so it's just it's yeah. almost an oversight it's just the annoyance factor if nothing else is just like come on didn't you talk to anybody right is that something you guys think they could fix in the firmware absolutely i'd have to believe so yeah yeah the software I should mean, be able I'm, to just say i just want to sample 24 instead of 30 well anyway I, I i think that you know i stand by my feeling that this is a remarkable camera in terms of what it accomplishes in terms of the feature set but the execution needs to be perfect if you're going to get our product of the year. So, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe we'll give it another chance later. Got a 9.5, you know, on the landing, a little, little bit of a wobble there. So, uh, and, and the D700 got a 9.6, so it was exactly, that close. Exactly, exactly. So uh, also, um, the, uh, Alex, the uh, the D700 just anecdotally was uh, American Photo Magazine's editor's choice. For uh, November December issue 2008, I'm still I'm still on the on the you know I'm still walking around with my 20D uh, on the on the fence here. So I'm uh, <laughs> that fence must be awful tired, Alex. You've been sitting on it. For I know, while. I know. Well, you know, and I'm I, yeah, I should I'm, I should I'm lose a little weight too. You know, it's, well, it's just it's, the stuff is changing so fast. It's you know clearly any any camera you buy today is going to be better than something that's uh, yeah. two years old. Well, I mean, the big and thing for me is that the D700 yeah, yeah. had video. If the D700 had video, I'd buy it tomorrow. Like that's There's always the, the if. There's always the if, though. At some point, uh, you have to either shoot or get off the pot. You know. Well, but I'm. I, you know, but I'm at, at some point, you have to decide. You know. Do you want to I'm jump not in? Sure every the original saying said, "Shoot or get off the pot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm coining that one. <laughs> For people who like to target shoot from the toilet. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's really. A, I don't even know where where you would do that. So anyway. Um, uh, also, uh, we've got uh, uh, Think Tank Photo is rolling out the Streetwalker uh, backpack line. Scott, can you give us a little background on this? Yeah, these are, these. you know, everybody knows I love the Think Tank products. They're made like tanks. If you buy one, it'll probably look like brand new the day you, 10 years later you get it. But they have three new backpacks that are very slim, and they don't look like traditional camera bags. They, they're more like what you might see, you know, people walking around downtown San Francisco and they're, they're harness styled. And, uh, you know, they, they, 
they kind of have this approach that's more briefcase-like. Anyway, it's worth a look. I, I mean, it's not my personal style that I would use, but I think a lot of people be be excited about can, it. Can I question uh, what market they're looking for by calling a bag the streetwalker? Yeah, I was going to ask, too. A streetwalker is a person who walks around with a camera, right? Hey, they don't, yeah, vet, yeah, they don't yeah. vet these names through me first. That's all I can tell you. I think they were marketing betting on certain propositions passing in San Francisco that failed. Ah. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's the camera bag for every single streetwalker you find. <laughs> I like, did, you read, did you read Aaron's notes on this to us? Yeah. I don't think, we should, I don't think, we, should, I don't think we should really get into Aaron's notes on, 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 on this. That, that's all I mean. It's a family alternate, show. Uh, alternate yeah. name. It's sort of street walk. I will say, you know, this, you might want to rethink the name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, 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 that's our only input there. Uh, National Geographic <laughs> unveils uh, the Viewer's Choice Awards. Um, so this is uh, from the, interna- the 2008 International Photography Contest. And some of the photos are just... Fantastic. Uh, great stuff. We, we, we covered the, uh, I guess, sort of the professional photos that National Geographic picked. And then these are the viewer's choice uh, winners. Yeah. So it looks, uh, they are, um, uh, it's, you know, I just, with any of these, with any award thing, it's just worth taking a look at them to see what's there because it's just, it's inspiring. You know, it's just really, really, really well done. So um, definitely check that out. We'll have that in the show notes. Uh, on more uh, somber news, Microsoft, Microtech uh, basically closes its retail doors. So, oh. um, so the uh, Microtech is uh, is the leading is a leading manufacturer of film and flatbed scanners. Uh, has announced that it'll stop selling its products in North America to develop uh, quote unquote an exclusive emphasis on developing OEM relationships and vertical market opportunities. So they're not going under. They're just not going to sell uh, under the Microtech brand uh, into retail. So, um, and uh, we, sh- we should uh, scan those negatives pretty soon. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're first they're going to get rid of the film, and then they're going to get rid of uh, the scanners. So the uh, the uh, couple um, milestones uh, that Microtech uh, really jumped in here: first, affordable black and white scanner equipped with a complete set of desktop publishing tools; first, affordable grayscale flatbed scanner; first, affordable film scanner; first, affordable color flatbed scanner, first 36-bit color flatbed scanner, first standalone scanning appliance, first to introduce emulsion direct scanning uh, technology for glassless film scanning with a flatbed scanner, and first flatbed scanner to uh, in, with integrated digital ice. Uh, okay, so it's, it, you know, they, these guys are really the, at the forefront for quite some time, and, uh, and it's just, it's getting harder, I think. It's just getting harder because a lot of people aren't scanning. That's what they call a paradigm change, is it not? When, you know, like when Smith Corona went from typewriters to, well, I don't know if they went to anything, but, you know, Kodak going from film to digital. I mean, if you want to survive, you got to go with the flow. And I guess the scanner thing is, is no longer uh, that, that much of a market. Yeah, so, so, uh, so anyway, um, so that's, uh, that's just, I think, probably an indicator of where things are going. Uh, also, uh, there's a new Lightroom uh, export plugin from Photomatics, um, and uh, this is a, an HDR uh, plugin. So it lets you uh, build um, seamlessly work with uh, in in uh, in Lightroom uh, with Photomatics. And and uh, there's a there's one for the for Aperture called Hydra, and uh, I have it. And I have to admit I haven't fully tested it yet. But the uh, but it's great to have these in uh, either Lightroom or uh, or uh, Aperture because it's it you know it's where you have all your photos. You know, so it's. I have uh, to say, the Hydra one did not work for me, Alex. It didn't work for you. I haven't. I haven't tested it yet. So I couldn't get it. It wouldn't line the images up. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I probably I'm probably not as sensitive to that because I usually turn that off. Um, well, I turned I tried turning it off and on, and in either event, it created this weird kind of ghosting for me. Interesting. Yeah, so they I, really... I took the same images into Photomatics and, it was and fine. created a beautiful tone mapped HDR perfectly aligned image. So I have to say that I think the Hydra people made a good try, but they, they, they might want to refine their effort a little bit. And I'd like for the Photomatics people to follow suit and give us an aperture plugin. Yeah, Photomatics is, is, in my opinion, the best HDR software out it there. It is. It's amazing. I've, I've played with a, a, a bit, and you know I haven't really done a lot of HDR stuff, but mm -hmm. out of Lightroom, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it really it sort of takes away that that you know what is this hdr stuff and then lets you sort of jump into it and and pull out some really stunning images so it's uh you know if if i was going to jump into hdr with both feet i would definitely get that plugin yeah yeah it's a great plugin it's a great standalone there's one for photoshop the lightroom here uh and and uh the, it's a really a fantastic solution so if you if you want to get into hdr uh, and you have lightroom this is uh this is definitely the place to start. So, um, so Alex, maybe you should out. maybe you should define what HDR is for people who don't know what it is. We keep throwing these acronyms around. Sure, it's high dynamic range imaging, and essentially what uh, what HDR does is you take multiple exposures uh, of the same scene, uh, hopefully pretty close together in time. And uh, what it does is it actually combines those images to create one single image that has a very very high dynamic range, which means that there's a lot of um, the, it goes way brighter and darker than you can even show on your screen. So you can adjust, you can kind of adjust uh, through it. Uh, and you can do it with as few as uh, two images and as many as, you know, I've shot ones with as many as 12 exposures um, that are, you know, a stop apart. And then you get this, this you know, you can kind of move back and forth on that exposure. Uh, you can also do what's called tone mapping, which is reducing the contrast between that. And what that allows you to do is basically show, have photos that you just couldn't shoot any other way, where the, where the sky isn't blown out, but all the shadows are, are all there. Um, you know, it, it has an effect. It's, it's an effect uh, on a shot, uh, unless you do it very gently. Um, there are definitely people who uh, are very sensitive to HDR because they know it's there, and it, it sometimes has a haloing effect if you push it too far. So, um, so it definitely has a look, uh, and uh, if you like that look, it's it uh, as I do. Um, it's a uh, it's a pretty slick um, solution. Uh, it's still in its infancy, I think. I think we'll we'll continue to see these tools get better and better um, as we move forward. Uh, also in the news, uh, Nikon rolls out updates to capture NX2 and Capture Control Pro. So they've updated, um, you know, these and it improves OS compatibility, fixing bugs, and uh, it introduces support for the D3X. So um, definitely check that out. And, uh, oh, and this is a little, uh, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth over where that sensor is coming from the D3X. Um, Nikon acknowledges that Sony is the manufacturer of the D3X's 24.39 million uh, image uh, pixel CMOS sensor. But says, of course, that it's a unique sensor design and was developed, quote-unquote, uh, expressly for the D3X. So, um, I'm trying to understand what that means exactly. Yeah. Because I know a lot of people have been saying, well, you know, the, the Sony 24 megapixel is, is so much less money. But, you know, in the end, I suspect that, uh, you know, this sensor is, is vastly different, obviously, you'd think it would be. And we'll know when we see some results from the D3X, but all... All indicators are that it is, but does it mean that that Nikon is kind of uh, beholden to to Sony? I mean, do, do they, you know, can Sony sort of turn the switch and say no no more sensors for you? Well, you know, it's it's I don't know. It depends on how 
cutting edge of the manufacturing process because they're just manufacturing it. So somebody else designs it, and um, theoretically there are multiple manufacturers that can put together a CMOS sensor. So I'm not sure that they're necessarily tied to Sony, but hard to say. Well, I think the the fabs that build these things are not, you know, the, the price for these uh, the fabrication factories is. is uh, not insignificant. <laughs> so there's right. good, probably a good reason that that uh, that Nikon is uh, is hiring that out. Now, it does definitely nicely ties into I, you know, the I don't know if have you guys. This is like the new YouTube uh, uh, Rick Rolling. Uh, have you guys seen the the um, the D3X video? Yes, and please stop sending me links to it. <laughs> I beg of you. I've seen it. Thanks, thanks to Aaron. I've seen it, and uh, yeah, I was rolling on the floor. <laughs> so there's a there's a um, it, it's I can't remember what the movie's called. I think it's called it's a Hitler movie about it's called Downfall. It's like the downfall of Hitler. And um, the, the last few days, it, if anybody has been on YouTube, you've seen some sort of mashup with this movie. It's you know the last last few days of uh, of the war and Hitler talking to his generals, and uh, it's it's all. You know, it's all subtitled, so people have been going in and putting new subtitles under it with completely different meanings than the original. <laughs> and it, it seems to be a technology. I really wanted to be upset after looking at this because I'm watching this <laughs> Hitler scene, and he's talking about the D3X, and I'm thinking, I, I shouldn't be laughing at this. You know, there's something wrong with this. It's so funny. It is, it is it's so, so funny. funny. It's funny. I mean, they've they done it for I, a couple I want to quickly add something, Alex. The... Um, the, the debate around the Nikon sensor, there's a couple of things I do know. One, of course, one big difference is that the Nikon camera comes with the Xpeed processing unit developed, you know, for Nikon, which is different than what they put in with the Sony. So the back-end processing is going to be different. And also, according to one of my sources, there's the bare filter alignment on the Nikon sensor is, in fact, different. Okay. Oh. So. And just one one other thing to add. I mean, you know, the D3X is a very different camera from the Sony version. I mean, it is a hardcore professional camera in in so many other. I mean, it's not surprising. It's 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 more expensive, but it would be very interesting to see the results from from both these cameras compared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that said, there ain't no way I'm paying eight grand for it. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's a little over. You're, you're you're my only hope, Scott. I mean, you're the guy. I, I just, that you know, I'm sorry. I just don't need all those. Me- We've talked about this on this no, show at right. length. We don't need those megapixels. We prefer to see them even work better at high dynamic range in the camera. Give us, you know, give us ISO sixty four thousand and leave it at twelve megapixels. We've all sort of, yeah, you know, put in. Well, no, that personally, time. I want those megapixels. So I'm different from you in that regard because I've got some uses for well, it. But I understand. I understand yeah, those, that those five by seven inch prints in the newspaper really need all that, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. I've got a project where I'm, I'm I want to make massive prints. So for me, you know, the, even the idea of medium format or a 25 megapixel camera would be fantastic, especially one that handles the way a, a D3 does. But I understand for a lot of people, it's it's just not not something. Well, yeah, and I do. I'm you know obviously I'm making a little bit of a joke, but I do think that it's going to have a limited appeal. People who have a specific project where they need that much information, sure. Although I will tell you, Genuine Fractal Six is out, and I'm I'm what I really am hoping to do is take somebody's 30 by 40 print from a D3X and compare it to a D3. 30 by 40 that's been run through general genuine fractal six and then if it looks as good as i think it will quickly check their reaction on their face as they realize they spent <laughs> and then you take the d3x file you run it through genuine fractals and make it you know building size <laughs> one gigapixel and 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but does uh, what does Generin Fractals run for these days, Scott? One fifty nine. Wow. Yeah, that's a little yeah. bit less than uh, what eight thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I think you know, a lot of a lot of fashion photographers need that high resolution, and the reason why is there's so much post processing. Yeah, post processing done on these images. So much tweaking and mushing yeah. stuff around, warping areas. If we don't start out with a lot of resolution, you you end up not being able to do the magic things they do that make ordinary people look beautiful. <laughs> you, you guys have to admit, if I'm not willing to buy a camera, who is going to buy it? Yeah, you know, That scares me exactly, a little bit. I we were like, every time we see an expensive camera, we're like, well, Scott will buy it, and then we can, we can figure out what's going to happen there. So I'm uh, sort of like the Mikey in the cereal commercial. <laughs> just tell, just tell buy Scott. Anything. Let's just point Scott at it. Yeah, there we go. So, uh, but so then, we, then again, Scott, for your wildlife shots, you can just use your 50 and just crop. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, site of the week, we've uh, it, this is uh, showitfast.com. Uh, Frederick, uh, tell us about this. Yeah, Show It Fast is a uh, <clears throat> so a friend of mine, David J, started this company. I think he started several years ago doing these little sort of flash slideshows that wedding photographers, I think specifically, could sort of throw together quickly and <clears throat> have their brides at the end sort of share it with friends and family, and then you know buy. Uh, prints from the album or stuff like that. So made it made it really simple. He's kicked it up a notch and created this really cool um, Flash application. It's built in Flash and Flex from Adobe. That and it's this basically this online web application that creates these sort of dynamic Flash-based websites that look kind of like what you get from a live books. And it's uh, it's really interesting. So it's. Um, you know, you go in there. I was showing it to some folks at uh, at this company I used to work at, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it starts with an A, ends in Adobe. But they uh, <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm bitter or anything. Oops. Damn! I thought you were going to say Acme Car Rental. Yeah, totally. But no, I was showing it to some of the folks in the Photoshop team over there, and the way that they've laid out the UI, they were looking at it saying, yeah, this is some of the things that we should be doing. You know, it's sort of, right. it's groundbreaking in that it takes sort of the the, uh, the, the metaphor of being object-based, so you click on something and up springs a bunch of options that you can do with that particular thing right next to it in context. And the cool thing is he did the whole thing in Flash, you know, so it's it's pretty interesting. It's the the um the photography the, the, the layouts are awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you get you build these like cinematic sort of websites that are flash based, albeit, you know, I don't know how heavy they are. I haven't I haven't built one in, in put it online yet right. but uh you know i don't and they, they may take forever to load but who knows but you know you go in there and you you build the structure and then you say okay now i want to go from this the front page of my website onto my gallery page and you can have transitions and cross dissolves between the you know the, between the different site pages in your website and you know it's actually pretty cool yeah, and and they they look original. It doesn't look like, oops, and they have music as you can hear when I'm, when I'm hitting play. So the, uh, the <laughs> it's like it just translate the music into Japanese. Yeah, well, well I'd like to say that anyone who um, puts music in their website, I'd like to uh, kill you. So um, 
I hate, I hate music and websites. There's, Don't hold back, Alex. No, no, I, I, I can't stand. I can't. There's, there, there's one. You know, I got, I got to be with you on that, Alex. Oh you my know, gosh, it is so annoying. Force, force your particular taste of music on me automatically. <laughs> it's not that. It's like not I'm a good on, idea. I'm on a show, or I'm, or I'm sitting in, in an office, or I'm sitting on set, or something like that, and suddenly, you know, everyone knows that I'm not working. That's all, that's all I have to say, and this makes me very sad. So, um, so anyway, but definitely the, the, the website designs, they look original. They look, you know, they're, they're really snazzy. I mean, it would take a lot of work to put that together uh, in yeah. a standard Flash out, you know, Flash app. So uh, I would, uh, that's an awesome site. So, um, yeah. Thank you, thank yeah, they're at, uh, what's the URL? Uh, showitfast.com. Yep, and we'll have a link to that, of course, in the show notes. Uh, got, uh, we're in week two of the current assignment, Humor. So, uh, and how's that going, Scott? Well, you know, we got the most entries we've ever received for the Straight Lines contest. Not so many for humor, and I'm thinking this is a tougher topic for people, so I want to really challenge folks. Okay, so it's not as easy. You may actually have to think. That's why they call it a J-O-B. Get out there. <laughs> exactly. So get, get creative. Yeah, our guest, our guest, Nicole. Yes. Took an incredible picture to sort of lead the way. She put one of the first ones into the contest, and I used it on Twip Photo to show people what was possible. She, I mean, you know, so if nobody enters, she's going to win. <laughs> Very good. It's, it's, I, I, it's uh, tough. I mean, humor is really hard to, to photograph. I mean, you look at Elliot Erwitt, he does it really, really well. I mean, but it's not an easy thing to, uh, to visually communicate always. And sometimes it's just luck. Yeah, so uh, definitely uh, get out there, take some photos of something funny, and uh, or something that, that could be funny, or someone trying to be funny. It could humor humor could be someone trying to be funny and not being funny. That's oftentimes me, you know. So uh, so I yeah. That is funny in the end. Which is yeah exactly <laughs> different sad kind of way. <laughs> yeah, in a sad pathetic, sick, demented sort of way. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand how it is. Uh, our our poll results from last week. Uh, how many days of the week do you shoot? One was the. Uh, was the winner, I guess, Saturday or Sunday, most likely. 36%. Uh, two, 29.8%. Three, 16.1%. And then it was spread uh, between 3 and 6% um, for 4, 5, 6, and 7. So only, uh, only a handful, 3.8%, are shooting every day. The uh, Guys, just with our mission to get people out shooting more, we should repeat the poll like in a year and see if we've made any headway. Yes, Yes. I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, since I got uh, I got rearmed with a with a point and shoot, you know, with the LX3, uh, I have to say that you know I, I just have it in my pocket almost all the time, and uh, it just makes it easier to capture th things. I take notes with it. I, that, that probably doesn't really count as well. Anytime I want to remember something, I just take a picture of it. I don't try to write anything down anymore. So um, we see all these we see all these debates over which camera should I use, and I'm starting to think the one that you'll pick up and take a picture with. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you got the best camera in the world if it's sitting in the closet six days a week. Come on, people. Yeah. So um, I, you know, I definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm. I. Uh, I'm now like when I'm when I'm serious about it. I'm now having. I usually have two cameras. I have my my the LX3 in my pocket, and then I have my uh, my my SLR. You know, packed away in my backpack, and, um, and you know, going back and forth between the two. I mean, this isn't good for the economy, but, you know, seven TWIP listeners should get together and, you know, buy a D3X or a 5D Mark II. And, and you know, you have can it. put it on Monday, love it on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, since you only need this camera one day a week. Alex, I thought, camera I thought you were, roommates. <laughs> I thought you say? were carrying two cameras so that when you lost one, you'd have a backup one. No, I, <laughs> nice. 
Nice. That's all I gotta say. Nice. <laughs> no, I, I actually I actually have three cameras with me right now. I got I, I bought a cheap little camera called the uh, the Rico R10, um, which has no use for me other than uh, it's a, it's a, it's not a very good camera, but um, it is uh, the one use that it has. It's a point and shoot that does time lapse. And I want to take time lapse of, of uh, crews building up sets, and so I can use the little Joby, you know, the little um, uh, Gorilla Pod, and mm. uh, and just wrap it onto something and uh, stick the little camera out there without having to deal with kind of an SLR situation. And uh, so, so I actually do have three cameras, that I'm in. so I do have a backup just in case I, I lose one. But I'd be very sad if I went from an LX3 to an R10. That's all I gotta say. So um, uh, anyway, we've got another poll coming up here. Uh, it is uh, we want to settle the argument. You know, we've been talking at the end of these shows about whether we should say put that put that lens cap right, take it off, or put it on. So we're gonna let the listeners decide. So go to twipphoto.com and uh, and tell us in the new poll uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of Twip. Should we be saying you can take the lens cap off or put it right back on? And uh, we're going to leave it up to the listeners. We're going to let you Alex guys... Is in- Alex's reasoning for this was that he says, you know, let's put the lens cap right back on to signify that the end of the show. And, you know, the- like we had taken it off and taken a picture of all yeah, of us yeah. talking about But it's, isn't it embarrassing to have the lens cap on throughout the entire show and only take it off at the end? Well, but that, I don't that want would to be, influence... That's what we said. Take the, but, but the idea is that you could take the lens cap off to go shooting. That was my ah. point, is that, you know, you're supposed to, at the end of the show, stop listening to a podcast and get out there and take some pictures. That's a very good I'm gonna, point. I'm going to be really tweaked if it comes up 50-50. <laughs> well, yeah, so so if, you, if you're listening, you have to go to twipphoto.com. You have to tell us what you think. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners have an opinion about it. So, uh, well, let, let me tell you something. Our listeners got tons of opinions. I'm the guy that has... <laughs> <laughs> Scott Scott takes the brunt of that one. <laughs> you suck. No, you don't. You really suck. No, you don't. <laughs> so uh, so definitely go up to twipphoto.com. Let us know. Uh, it's a, it's it's fun. It's easy, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, absolutely free of charge. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so now um, we have a, a special guest, uh, Nicole Young. Nicole, are you there? I am. Uh, now, where are you based normally, Nicole? I live in the Monterey Peninsula, just a few hours south of San Francisco. Fantastic. And what type of uh, shooting do you normally do? Uh, well, right now I'm mostly doing um, photos for iStock Photo. How is that working out for you? It's working out pretty well. Um, actually, I do want to say something before I really get into it. Um, I am speaking on behalf of myself and not on behalf of iStock Photo, just so that's out there. So, so you're, you're just <laughs> everything I say. I'm sorry? You're not working you're for iStock Photo. Well, no, I, I just, uh, I'm just a photographer and I collect my royalties from them. Right. I'm not right. employed by them. Now, how do you go about, how do you think about what you're going to shoot uh, to put up on iStock Photo? Well, a lot of it is just kind of, uh, you know, if you really pay attention to advertisements, you know, and designs and just kind of think ahead, you really kind of have to think ahead and look at other photos. You know, I know Scott always says that to, get, to become a better photographer, you need to look at photos. And I really keep that in mind. And now, do you look at, my, when you're looking at photos, do you look at iStock and do you compare like what other photos are doing well, like a style or do you have your own style? How do, how do you... Um, do, do you do research within iStock Photo to figure out what is uh, what trends are be- are popular? Well, I think some of that just happens by default because a lot of the, you know, when I'm online, I always almost always have one of my tabs open to iStock Photo, and I'm always seeing the new photos that come in, right. photos uh, from people that I know, and um, obviously you don't want to copy anybody's style. You want to keep it your own style. I I always tend to you know take pictures of things that I enjoy. I love taking photos of, excuse me, people, children. I'm kind of getting into food photography as well. So, and I think it, colors and 
you know, I always try and think of like what colors look best. It's stuff like that, that, that I really focus on. Is, is there in a cold run here? Is there, is there a way to see kind of uh, what things people are searching for on iPhoto to see what the interest level is? No, it's um, that stuff is the kind of that's the kind of stuff that we don't usually find out about. Um, you can see the photos that sell the most. You know, you could sort, you know, search for a particular topic and then sort by downloads, say, and then see which ones are the top sellers. Yeah, okay. So I guess that's one way, but you don't really know what search term they found your photos on. Hey, Nicole, Nicole, Fred here. So, you know, thinking about the the process behind, uh, you know, getting your photos onto iStock, is it, you know, do you what's your process? Do you can you batch upload a bunch of photos and then you know deal with them later, or do you have to go through and keyword each one and then push it up there and you know drill down into their hierarchy and place it? How, what's your process? Well, uh, the way I do it, well, I'll start out with the basic. With the, with the way that the site allows you to do it, you can upload one image at a time. You have to select your own keywords and categories and description, title, all of that stuff. And um, and then, you know, you just do one at a time like that. Uh, I use a program called Image Manager. I know there's other ones out there. Deep Meta is another one. And they're just uh, user-created content, or I'm sorry, user-created software that allows us to do batch uploading. And I use that because I can get all of my photos ready to go and and then I can just you know click a button and then all of them go at the same time. Ah, aha. Now when you when you do this, is it is it um uh now does iStock Photo um screens this stuff right? They they they're yes. going through each one. They have inspectors. They have I I'm not exactly sure the number. I think it's around a hundred or so inspectors that you know they they'll take batches of photos and inspect them and then uh, either approve them or reject them based you, on their quality and the content. How hard is it to get through that gauntlet? Well, I think at first, you know, I, I can tell you when I first started, you do get rejections. And, uh, you know, at, right now I'm not getting as many as I used to, but, and that's because I've learned from all of them. And that, I, I will have to say that um, I can attribute a lot of my um, improvement in photography through my iStock photo rejections, you know, and by looking at other people's fi pictures on iStock, uh, because you just kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and say, okay, I'll just do better next time. But yeah, it's, it's difficult at first, but it gets easier once you, when, if you actually apply the, you know, what you learned from that rejection. Hey, Nicole, do you, do you sometimes sort of disagree with a rejection? You think, hey, you know what, this picture's uh, I really like, but for whatever reason it was rejected. Oh, there's been occasions where, you know, I have pictures that I was like, well, I didn't really, you know, in my opinion, I didn't think there was a whole lot wrong with it. Sometimes I just uh, don't really worry about it. Um, they do sometimes give you the option of resubmitting the file. And if I really have my heart set on having a certain photo uploaded because I was, you know, just I kind of fell in love with the photo, then I'll resubmit it. Um, you can, there's kind of a checks and balances with the system. You know, if, if somebody doesn't like agree at all with their decision, then they can actually, they send it to a, a team called Scout and they will then, you know, review it and see if it was an accurate uh, decision on the inspector's behalf. And if it is, then they, you know, it stays as a rejection. If it's not, then they'll either give them the other, an opportunity to re-upload it or they'll just approve it right away. How long have you been uh, shooting for iStock, Nicole? For two and a half years, just just about two and a half years. And could you briefly tell folks uh, on the money side, how often do they pay you? You well, you can collect your money uh, once. Well, I think they're going to start it where you can only collect once a week, but you have to have at least a hundred dollars in your account to actually collect any money. I usually just do it monthly. I just do like you know, kind of like a paycheck. And without divulging your salary, are 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 you making enough money that it's worth your time? 
I, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't make, I would say I don't make enough money to have it be a full time for me. I'm, I have a wonderful husband <laughs> who's helping me right now, just supporting me in my, you know, pursuit of photography. But there are several people who do make a lot of money doing this. And it's really the amount of time you put into it. Um, I would say I probably put way less than a part time effort into it, but I probably get about a part time amount. I, I sell approximately a thousand images a month. And, uh, so, you know, you can kind of do the math, you know, if you're on the site and probably figure out how much that is. But um, that's great. I, it's great. definitely worth it. You know, and you can I, take I think, time off if you want to, and you're still going to be collecting royalties as long as you're consistently yeah, uploading. Yeah. Wow. I think wow. I think Fred Johnson's looking for someone to adopt him. Is your husband open to that kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> so Nicole, when you're shooting, uh, when you're when you're shooting people, I mean, one of the big questions that a lot of times we have is, how do you deal with releases? Now, I'm sure that iStock I is giving you releases, right? Yes. That yes. they they want you to sign. They're very specific about that. Now, how do you find subjects? Uh, are they people that you know? Yeah, for the most part, a lot of the photos that I have in my portfolio are friends and family. You know, a lot of kids of friends and nephews and nieces. I have some in my dad and my dad in the you know my portfolio that sell really well. Um, I also have uh, photos uh, from people that found me through Model Mayhem, and I kind of explain what I do. That I you know I'm a photographer for iStock Photo, and if they sign a release, you know, then it's real easy. I'll do pictures for them. They get some free pictures, and I get some for my portfolio. Now, and and uh, what is Model Mayhem? Um, it's a website for Mostly models and photographers, and there's also makeup artists, um, and it's just a networking site for people to find uh, work or, you know, a lot of people on there are kind of starting out, um, both on the photographer and the model side of things, and, I, you know, it's, it's a good feeling sometimes to help people out um, to get their portfolios built, you know, and I'm really um, honest about and open about what I do. I know some people aren't always comfortable with having their picture taken, known, knowing it's going to go onto a website that people can purchase, but, um, yeah, so... <laughs> But that's the cost of getting a good photographer taking pictures of you. There's something for I want I want to stress here, Alex, because we didn't say it, but and I don't want to make Nicole blush, but uh, you know, we asked her to be on the show because she is in fact a very good photographer. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> now now the uh Nicole um uh how did you get into photography? I mean, is this did it just start off as a as a hobby? Oh yeah. Back in high school I started, you know, started in doing black and white in a dark room and I, I had to I think I had to take an art class and I like photography looks like fun and I took it and I just absolutely fell in love with it did the yearbook the newspaper you know most most of what photo geeks do when they're in high school and you know for about 10 years it was just a pretty much a hobby and I was still shooting film but I switched to digital in I think 2005 I finally got a D2 Nikon D2H and shortly after that I was really wanting to have something that would kind of bring me back into photography because it's kind of hard, you know, if I don't have anything in the outlet, it's just taking pictures for myself didn't seem as much fun as if I had a reason to take pictures. And I was reading a pop photo magazine one day and they had a, an a article on microstock sites and looked at it and I thought, you know, that would be like something I can really do. So I, I started in on doing some. I think I started out with several of them at first, um, but I found that iStock photo gave me the best return. And I decided to go exclusive with iStock, and that's how it started. Excellent. And uh, where do you where do you hope to take your photography? Is there a certain a direction or area that you're that you're looking at? Well, I'm I'm kind of considering starting uh, my own business, like some portrait stuff. Uh, I really enjoy taking pictures of people. I I love things that move, you know, things that have action to them. And people are always moving and always changing. You can never take the same photo of a person twice. And I just love that about it. And um, 
so I'm considering doing that. Um, if I, if I could have, you know, my dream job would just be to stay with iStock and make that, you know, a full-time job because it's so uh, flexible. I can go anywhere and take pictures anywhere. It, it works out really well for me because my husband is in the military, so I can just travel around with him and do my pictures anywhere and I get different backgrounds to them too. But uh, if I could do that forever, it'd be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's See, fantastic. Nicole, quick question. So you, you mentioned that you, you tried the other stock houses before mm -hmm. settling on iStock. What, what were the main differences between those and iStock? Well, the one great thing, the, the obvious main difference, well, I mean, I saw like, I think I made like 50 bucks my first, you know, six months or something like that on iStock. So it wasn't the money as much as it was the community because iStock has a, a wonderful community of people that are just willing to help everyone. It's not, you know, like back in the day, the photography community was really kind of um, really competitive. And it's there's still competition out there, but people are really open to sharing how to make really good pictures and just really being friends. You know, I've met several people. We get together at events. They're called mini lipses and, you know, and we take pictures, we have photo shoots in the morning, the afternoon for a couple of days and, you know, you help each other out and you learn a lot and it's, it's really just the community and the people that work there too. It's, it's a great place. Gotcha. That's awesome. And, um, and w you have a blog? I do. I have a, it's, it's Nicole Nicolesyblog.com. Great. And, and, and uh, now you, you have a site that's almost up, right? I do. Oh, like my, my portfolio site? Is that <laughs> what you Your portfolio you're? site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did have it um, through a different link, and I just recent. I'm sorry, through a different uh, company, and I just recently right. switched the uh, the hosting people, and I'm, like I said, I'm kind of considering, and I'm going to be starting a portrait business, so I kind of want to tailor my, you know, my new portfolio to that business so people can see it. So yeah, there's really no photos on that one. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> check out the blog and, and yeah, uh, now you you just you just had a a, a blog entry on how um, you you were you kind of caught something in in the midst of, uh, oh, of yeah. action, right? <laughs> what the, happened there? Well, I was <laughs> here's the story. Um, well, I guess if you could read my you could read my blog and see the whole thing in detail. But I was sitting at home and I heard sirens, which isn't usually too unusual because there's a police station and a fire station real nearby. But then all of a sudden, I heard this really loud boom. And, you know, it sounded like something ran into my house. So I, I looked outside and I saw this big billowing black smoke. Uh, so, you know, as, as any good photographer would do, I ran and um, threw a new lens on, put my card in my camera and ran outside and ran up the hill and took pictures. And, and a garbage truck had caught fire and the tires exploded. That's what the big boom was that I heard. Wow. It's exciting. So uh, it's a good it's a good example of uh, of why to always have your camera with you. Yeah, yeah. I almost always have my point and shoot with me, and you know, I mean, I always have. Uh, most people are going to have a camera on their uh, on their cell phone. Now, as now well. what do you what do you shoot with? What what's your point and shoot? My point and shoot. What do I, it's a Nikon P fifty one hundred. I think it is. Great. And and uh, what what kind of uh, SLR do you have? I have a Nikon D two hundred. D two hundred. Very mm -hmm. good. And uh, and what what's your favorite lens to shoot with? Well, I just uh, I, I remember like a few weeks ago, you guys actually used my question about my lens breaking. I had an eighteen to oh, yeah. fifty Sigma. It was a wonderful lens, but um, it broke. It just stopped zooming mm -hmm. on me. So I decided, you know, to upgrade. And I really really upgraded. I ended up getting a Nikon twenty four to seventy f two point eight. Sweet, sweet, yeah. Yeah, I figured I might as well get the frame so a lens broke for a reason i think so of course it didn't it really time. help my uh, credit card too much <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you so much nicole for uh, for joining us You're welcome. 
And, uh, make, and we will definitely we'll have a link to uh, Nicole's site uh, on, on, on twipphoto.com so, uh, for, as part of the show notes. And uh, we'll hopefully get you back on again. Okay, great. Awesome. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, we've got, uh, of course, we have to thank our, uh, our host, our, our, not our host, but our, uh, our, our benefactor, Drobo. Uh, we, we, love, we love our Drobo. Uh, I think we're all, now, Steve, we, this is part of the, the Drobo uh, pattern here is that we have to see how far Steve has gotten. Last, <laughs> last we heard in our last episode, Steve had gotten the Drobo hooked up and had drives sitting on top of it. Yeah, no. No, I think, I think last week, um, I'm touching my Drobo now. I still have the... <laughs> I don't think we're talking about that on the show. <laughs> you know, I don't think we needed to say that. You know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Just, I'm a little I, I still have the protective plastic on the covers because I don't really see a reason to take it off. I mean, I'll just keep it in prime condition. But I've got two green lights, which means two thumbs up for my two uh, terabyte drives that are in the two bays. All the blue lights oh. on the bottom, or you know, as many as should be lit up. So everything's good. Everything's everything's good with the Drobo. I just have I just you want to add data onto it. Pardon me. Well, well, come on, you know, don't, don't pressure that's me, man. You know, you know, that's next, me. that's next week. Next week, Steve is going to put a photo <laughs> on no, his next, Drobo. Yes. Have you put your <laughs> no. on the Drobo, Steve? Uh, have I put what, Scott? Have you put I your aperture vault onto the Drobo? Actually, um, right now, I'm in the process of kind of um, sort of thinking about it. No, no, I'm consolidating my entire archive and library. So I basically took one of my main Aperture libraries and gave it a home on the Drobo, which, um, you know, I've got about a terabyte to play with right now. So this library is about 500 gigs. So I'm basically kind of weeding it down, tightening it up, and ultimately I'm just going to have, um, I'm going to have uh, vaults because I do use the managed uh, system with Aperture for the time being. And uh, so I needed the free space, and the Drobo was great for that. So I'm really treating it not so much as a backup, but just as, as kind of a, a one big hard drive for now. Very good. So, and we'll, we'll get a report next week on, on uh, Steve actually opening something from the Drobo. So, uh, but I think everybody else, I think the rest of us are all pretty uh, Drobotized. We are feeling droopy. And we need to <laughs> remind folks, because there's been a little confusion, Alex, that the coupon at drobo.com slash twip has been upgraded from 25 to $50 now. It $50. However, wow. there is no more USB Drobo. You can, you, you, the cheaper USB only Rev 1 Drobo is gone. The new, US, the new Drobo does have USB, but it's primarily a Firewire Drobo. And those are 50 bucks off if you go to drobo.com slash twip. That is something very special we've arranged just for twip listeners. And uh, we, we uh, want to thank Drobo because, it, you know, Alex, people sometimes think that we all just do this. And, of course, fairies provide the money for the bandwidth and everything. And <laughs> not quite true. So right, Drobo exactly. really helps. Yeah, and... and uh and I know that you know I I uh, all my stuff is actually on a Drobo in uh, in uh, San Francisco, and I actually link link to it here. So I keep I still keep my stuff there, and uh, using uh, screen sharing on on the Mac, I'm able to uh, get files that I need, uh, literally anywhere in the world. That's very cool. So it's a it's a great little uh, great way way to have redundant backup. Mm -hmm. So definitely check it out uh, Drobo.com and uh, definitely Drobo.com/slash twip. And I'm oh, I'm still it. searching for the cheapest drives I can find from my my Drobo, so 
Any I think I, I think we kind of found that Newegg is probably one of the cheapest. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned that last week, but I'm I'm still searching. I have a feeling. You're still searching. How, sure. how low do you want to go for it? Come on. I, I want I want to be paid to put the drives in my drove. Ah, <laughs> the combination lock off your wallet. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You're not going to get that much. But cheaper. that's the joy of the Drobo because you can you can slap them. I mean, you know, I'm kidding here. I'm going to buy the the Newegg ones, but you know, that you know, that's the joy of the Drobo that you can slap these really cheap drives that's in true. those things, and it just you know, it's it's fine. So, yeah. but it. buy it before it's FireWire 3200 connection. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and and the FireWire, not only is it a lot faster, but it takes a lot less system resources uh, than the USB. So um, when you're copying stuff, it'll actually uh, put a little less pressure on your on your CPU. So uh, keep that in mind as well. So, um, Alex, I'm going to have to check out. But before I do, I just want to uh, say that, uh, you know, everybody feel free to visit the blog. And uh, I'm going to look forward to listening to the rest of the show to find out the answers to all these really good questions. Yeah, no, definitely. And thanks, Scott. Thank you. I know you uh, you had a hard out, and we, we've had a couple uh, technical ups and downs here on the way through that you probably won't hear on the show, but, uh, but it's been a little longer, longer show recording here. So uh, thanks a lot, Scott. And uh, we will see you, uh, we'll see you next week and you on Twip Photo. Okay. Thanks, see Scott. Scott. And now we have, uh, we have the listener questions, and uh, we've got, got a slew of them. We're going to get through a couple of them here. Uh, this is uh, the... Um, the first one is coming in from Brian, and uh, Brian said, uh, um, uh, this one has been doing my head in, quote-unquote. He says, I have uh, a shutter speed. Okay, he's, he's heard of the shutter speed 1x rule uh, from many places, but no one seems to answer if the crop factor uh, of the modern smaller, uh, smaller than 35-millimeter sensors affects this rule of thumb. So the, 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 the uh, shutter speed 1x rule, 1 over x rule, is basically if you are... Uh, the idea is that if you're shooting with a 50 millimeter lens, you shouldn't be shooting uh, slower than 1 50th of a second uh, because, uh, you know, you'll start to uh, put shake into it. So, uh, you know, it's just the, it, the length of the lens obviously makes a difference because smaller movements in your camera uh, end up in bigger movements in the image. So he said, my personal experimentation uh, has only served to confuse me more as I've been able to hold uh, uh, these uh, non-IS VR lenses much longer than I would be, uh, that I should be quote unquote allowed to with just a touch of blur. Uh, so I can't uh, work out if I'm a superhero or just occasionally lucky, please help me out. So, um, so what, he's, what he's asking basically is, is if you have a 200 millimeter lens that has an effective that is effectively a three, 320 millimeter lens, should you be shooting faster than 320th of a second? What do you guys think? Yes. I say yes. 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 Yeah. I mean, think about it. The, the whole point, first of all, it's just a rule of thumb, and it's a fairly conservative one. So, you know, it's, I, I have generally no fear shooting with the 50 millimeter lens and only having, you know, a 30, you know, a 30th of a second kind of uh, shutter speed. But generally, if you think about it, the effective focal length is what you want. The effective zoom lens is what you want because it's really sort of relative to how much movement you have relative to the full size of the frame. So it's really acting like that longer lens. Right, yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, it's basically, I mean, it really is the effective length of the lens. And I think that most times that 1x is really just a safety precaution. You know that you're pretty safe if you're still um, near that 1x. But I, I've shot a lot of photos that are, um, that are faster than that. I mean, or slower than that, you know, that, that are, you know, one-tenth of a second, one-fifteenth of a second, but only if I haven't had caffeine. 
<laughs> so, um, but but I think that yeah, I think it's definitely the effective that is what you want to look at there. Um, another another question from Eric uh, Manchester said um, he said, "What do you recommend in the way of monitor calibrators? Do you guys use monitor calibrators?" Uh, I did. <laughs> I- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm so embarrassed to say that I, I did like a year ago. I used one of the I1 uh, calibration, and it was great. It worked fine, but I haven't calibrated since, mainly because they said you need to calibrate like every month. And I just that was just too much for I you. I can't stay on top of it. So you yeah. know. Now, Aaron, you've worked with the Spider. Yes. Yeah, I've used the Spider too. What did you um, think of it? It's uh, it's quite good. I I don't use it as often as I should. Um, right. <laughs> definitely not. But uh, it's not a complicated process. It can be a little time-consuming sometimes. And uh, I just kind of keep a reminder for myself in my calendar every few weeks to uh, to recalibrate. But um, often I get the reminder and don't. So uh, it's more. I mean, the thing about oh, sorry, sorry, Aaron, I didn't mean to interrupt. But no, go ahead. You know, I think I think there was that sort of awkward moment of silence because we all know. <laughs> You know, we need to calibrate our equipment. But the fact is, I mean, how many of us are printing very regularly? And I know personally I'll print when I've got a reason to print. And, and frankly, it's, it's not all that often. So if you've got a big print job or if you're just printing, generally speaking, it's always good to do some sort of, of calibration. And uh, there's a lot of systems out there. I've, I've too, you've used, used the Spider. Some of them are very expensive. And even yeah. the little Huey is better than, um, you know, not, no, no calibration at all. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I say something? Yes. Yeah. Well, please. I, I calibrate my monitor. I use the Spider Express and it, it serves my purpose. Um, I don't really do much printing, um, but I, you know, with iStock Photo, I need to make sure that my images, especially the the darks and the lights, you know, I need to make sure I can see those really well. And of course, the color as well, because you want your pictures to be um, accurate and true to the, you know, like if everyone, if everyone in the world would calibrate their monitors, then we'd all see the same thing. <laughs> so I, I agree <laughs> with Nicole completely. That's the thing that scares me is, you know, if you, so the statement is made that, you know, if everyone calibrated their, their displays, we'd all see the same thing. But, you know, it, when you get down to it, it's, it's a complete moving target color calibration exactly. because, Which you know, you got, pop. yeah, you, you got know? different rooms, you got different, people have different ro- numbers of rods and cones in their eyes, the sun moves, you know, yeah, if you're, if you're dealing with an end-to-end process like printing, then yes, it's important, and I've certainly done it when I'm doing, you know, critical professional work where I know it's going out to film or going to be seen in a theater or something, but for me, all I do with my images, I either look at them on my monitor or I put them on the web, which means that anybody, you know, it, it, you're at the mercy of whatever their monitor is calibrated like, and nobody has calibrated monitors for the most part. So I really just don't bother with it most of the time because it's just not worth it because I, I, there's no benefit to me. I mean, I, 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 oh, sorry, Alex. I, I just want to throw in, like, even when you're dealing with clients who um, are going to be using your images for publication, I mean, they generally have their own system, so they don't want you to, you know, mess with the image too much. To, to mess with the raw image too much because they're going to take it and they're going to cal- they're going to they have their calibration and their output and they're going to you know do their own tweaks to it. Right, right, and and I, I think that you know we used to joke in, in when I was working on TV that you know an NTSC you know you hear an NTSC monitor or whatever was never the same color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just that, you know, it's everywhere, especially when, you know, when you have, uh, when you have different monitors and different pieces, it's just very hard. I, I, I have a tendency because I'm a, a little bit more, I, I tend to lean more on my, on the technical end of things. And, and what I'm mostly looking for is uh, I'll look at the levels, I'll look at the, um, the output there and just make sure that I'm getting a pretty good cross. You know, if, if I, if something doesn't look right, 
you know, I'll look at whether the, the red, green, and blue or the, just the overall exposure is really uh, taking advantage of the full range. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of times that's the biggest thing for people is, is, uh, um, is to make sure that it has the, the proper contrast. Yeah. So, um, I think like, yeah, like if you're it. Nicole, like if you're Nicole and you ha you're you're sending images up to a professional service like iStock, and yeah. they, you have you have to rely on a certain level of consistency when you're sending these yep. up. Absolutely makes sense. Or if you're a gallery, you're printing gallery prints where you're selling print number one thousand and one for you know nine hundred bucks, and someone right. orders that a year from now, you want to make it same as the you know the one that you right. you printed a year back. So you right. need that consistency. That's I think that's where it comes in. But if if you're an advanced amateur or hobbyist and you just want to print this picture of this rose, you know, I think it's less critical to maintain that 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 uh, consistency from year to year, month to month. But, you know, right. that's just me. my stance on it's more like uh, Nicole, because most of my printing output is is the lab that I use for online print sales. I have a, um, you know, a color model from them for the printers that they use in their lab. So I calibrate my monitor and then use it in combination with that. So I have a good sense that the prints that are being put out by that lab and sold to people all over the country, you know, that they're getting something that's fairly accurate. Anything you put on the web is, uh, you know, is a complete crapshoot when you get down to it in terms of whether somebody's going to be seeing what you're seeing. And in addition to that, I find that my Apple Cinema display, you know, it doesn't get out of alignment terribly much. I mean, I have my my brightness controls and so all are locked down so they cannot be altered in any way. So when I do check my profile every once in a while, I find that it really doesn't deviate much, you know, just with the aging of the monitor. Yeah. And printing at home makes me want to slam my head in the, you know, in the car door. So, <laughs> <laughs> now, do, you, do you guys use the uh, the Apple like uh, the the um, kind of the advanced monitor calibration very often? Yeah, that's about all that, you do. Yeah, that's about all you do. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's about it. You know, I find that's one of the big advantages of being horribly nearsighted, is that they, you know, so with the Apple Advanced, if you go into profiles, if if you're listening and you go in there, it'll do a basic one, but there's an, you hit the little advanced button and it shows you these little. Um, it's like a gray circle inside of a, and you're supposed to match these, you know, to kind of get it working. And um, the great thing, the hard part is, is that it never, if, when you're 20, when you see 2020, you're kind of, um, you know, crippled, you know, really crippled because it always is going to look different in the center. But if you're horribly um, uh, nearsighted like myself, uh, you know, this feature allows me to take off my glasses and, and stare at it. And then I get really fast to match, <laughs> match all of those in the advanced one. I, I, I finally found a, a good use for my, um, my horrible eyes. One thing people should understand, too, is calibrate to the room that you're editing in to the light that you're going to be editing in the most as well. Right. And I prefer uh, rooms with uh, that are painted 18% um, uh, gray <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, have no windows. And, Nicole, uh, how do, how do you think, what do you think of that room? The room? That'd be perfect. <laughs> you're in it. You're in it, I oh, think. Oh, yeah. Wow. I am, aren't I? Nicole suddenly realizes. I feel strangely uh, calm I'm, in that room. I'm, I'm staring at the little foam things in the wall. They're really, uh, they're really soothing. The line. You can yell and scream, and nobody's going to hear you in there. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I literally handed when when I painted uh, that that room that Nicole's sitting in right now. I I literally handed the painter uh, an 18 percent, uh, you know, a, a, a gray card, and uh, just said, "I just want the paint to look like that." So, uh, and everyone thought I was crazy, but it's a very nice room. So, uh, it's very neutral. So anyway, uh, so uh, definitely, uh, it's worth it. I think definitely if you're printing your own or if you're doing uh, professional outputs. And so, yeah. uh, last question here is, uh, what is a pro for this is from uh, Justin Prather, and uh, he said, uh, 
uh, he said, hello, everybody. Sorry, I had to say it. Uh, it's, it's a pattern now. Uh, he said, I was wondering, what is the definition of a, a quote-unquote pro photographer? I'm 14, and I've done some jobs and had work bought. Um, does this make me a pro technically? So, so does it make him a pro? Hmm. Well, mm. I, I think, you know, the, the, what I've heard, I've heard it defined from a business standpoint, and that is a pro is someone who earns more than 50% of their income through photography. But that's a and that could be, that could be the, the case for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a narrow way to define it. I mean, when I was 14, I got paid $50 to work on the farm all summer. So, so I think that, you know, if he sold anything, he'd be, he'd be way ahead. Yeah. So, but, uh, but I think that I, whether he's a pro professional yet or not, uh, I would say that, uh, that he is off to a great start. I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I would I also probably add that, you know, a professional is someone who, you know, is going to be able to come back with, uh, you know, strong, better than average images from just about any situation. Or right. they wouldn't necessarily take on that job, I would say. Yeah, consistency right. is probably one of the big keys of being a pro, is that people can really rely on you if they hire you. Right, right. And, and I think that that's, I mean, I always think of golf that way. You know, everybody can hit a, have, a good, uh, have a good round, but, but being a pro is having a good round every single time. Mm -hmm. you, see it, you see it in portfolios because often, you know, I mean, people that commission photography for a living will tell you that they've seen some killer portfolios, yet, you know, they may take a chance on someone and they might be disappointed because uh, you're right. You know, you can get some great shots, but to consistently do it, and that just comes with experience. Yeah, right. and understanding how you got that shot. So you know, you can throw it on auto and get that one in a life, once in a lifetime shot. But can you go back and do it again? And do you know how you got it and why you got it? You know, I think those yeah. those understanding the variables and the fundamentals of photography uh, defines the professional. You know, along with the the monetary stuff. I don't even know how to use the camera. I, I, I don't. No, 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 no. I don't know how to use the camera on auto. You know, like like it's like it does all this crazy stuff. You know, because I turn all of that stuff. You know, I don't. I don't want to have it. On. Yeah, I, I, I guess I didn't answer that very well. <laughs> I don't know how to use the camera. I don't use. I don't know Can how to use the camera. Can we quote you on that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Alex Lindsay. I don't know how to use the That's camera. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. Uh, Oops. So anyway, but I think, you know, as I said, uh, it is a great start. And I think that uh, services oftentimes, like, I don't know if there's an age uh, limit to iStock Photo. Nicole, do you know if there's a... Um, you know, I'm not sure about that. I, I think there kind of is. I, I'm assuming you have mm -hmm. to be an adult, like right. 18 or more. Um, but I think that they might have, you know, if you are under that age, then you might just need your parents' consent. But yeah. that'd be something that, you you know, if anyone is interested in, they have contact right? you could do it. You could do it through your parents as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I, that's the you're kind of getting into the stuff that I'm really not sure about. This. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. So, but but I think that but I think that services like iStock Photo might be really great for uh, photographers like Justin because you're not you know it allows you to practice, it allows yes. you to put stuff up there, it allows you to you know, you you know see how too. that goes. Yeah, I mean, in that's in three or four years of doing that, I think that it would be a it's an incredible opportunity. So, uh, well, yeah, um, like if, as I said, I'm if, here, oh, if you if you look at the my if you go all the way back to my first photos, you know that I uploaded. Um, in my portfolio on iStock, <laughs> you'll see my progression. <laughs> so, it's, you know, if, if it, you know, it took, you know, I thought I was a really good photographer when I, well, not like, I wasn't cocky about it, but I thought I was, you know, fairly good. And then when I started, yeah. I was like, wow, I've got a lot to learn. And I still think that, you know, I see, I'm really, you know, amazed when I see some of the photos on that site. There's some real great talent on iStock. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, 
So it's a gr- great place to start, and a, and, and uh, you know, it's it really is a, a great time to start when you're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. So, uh, so uh, good luck, Justin, and thanks for the question. Um, next week we have it's a mystery week again. But you saw that we said last week was a mystery week, and we had Nicole on the show. So th- next week is another mystery week. We're going to have something cool for all of you. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, and uh, the uh, tip of the week. Does anyone have a tip of the week? Nobody. Insert, insert crickets. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one, no one has any, any, any good tips. Um, uh, well, I can, I know. can tell you what I'm going to do. So my, the, the tip of the week for me is to, uh, I'm going to go explore iStock a little bit. I've been sort of inspired by Nicole to look in there deeper and check out. Um, uh, what was that app you mentioned, Nicole? Image Manager Pro and, and there's Deep a, Meta? there's Image Manager. There's a Deep Meta is kind of the popular one. I, I think Image Manager's um, it's not as used as much. It's um, I just use it for uploading. But there's a Deep Meta that might only be uh, Windows compatible. That's probably why I haven't used it yet. Uh, yeah. So my, my tip of the week is to do some research and explore some of these uh, penny stock agencies. And if you have a library of images laying around, you know, after you read up on their guidelines, you know, maybe submit a couple and uh, see what comes of it. You know, at the yeah. very least, you'll be joining a very interesting community of people that can uh, only help you get better as a photographer. And I have I have one uh, small tip. I, I realized while you were talking that uh, that I that I ran across uh, this week. I was shooting from Tokyo Tower, which is um, the I guess the tallest. It, it turns out it doesn't look like it from when, when you look at it, but it's taller than the Eiffel Tower. Oh. It's the tallest uh, I guess uh, freestanding metal structure in the world, and uh, or steel structure or something like that. Anyway, so uh, uh, but about from about 250 meters up, and um, the. Uh, you know, shooting through glass, and one of the things you know oftentimes happens when you're shooting through glass or you're shooting out over is that, is that uh, you have a very low contrast or lower contrast than what you'd want. And so, uh, one of the things that um, you know you shouldn't worry about that as much. You can always take it into Photoshop and bring the black levels in. Um, so when you're shooting there, if you just add a little bit of black, you know, just tuck those black levels in a little bit um, when you're shooting through glass or shooting into uh, into those kind of distant shots. Uh, it's incredible how much contrast is still in the shot, especially if you're shooting raw. So um, that's my little, my extra little tip on top of Fred's uh, tip to go into uh, start uploading stuff. I know we're interested in uploading video, you know, to iStock. And so we've been kind of slowly... Uh, uh, moving that direction, so uh, we're, I think we're going to probably be doing that next year. So, so anyway, that's it. Uh, Fred, where can people find you? They can find me on my blog at frederickvan.com or on the Twitters at uh, frederickvan. Ron, uh, I am on the Twitters too. Ron Brinkman, Brinkman with two ends at the end, uh, and on my blog, which is digitalcomposting.com. I just put up a post a couple of days ago that's probably of interest to the. Twit community, it's Twit community. It's a bunch of old negatives that I had scanned, and a lot of them were really damaged, water damaged, mold damaged, something. And I ended up getting a lot of enjoyment out of sort of seeing the, the crazy sort of impressionistic stuff that came out of that. So it's worth checking out. Awesome. So definitely check that out. Steve, where can people find you? Um, I'm going to be at Macworld in January. Can I say Macworld uh-huh. in December? Yeah, I could. I'm going to be yeah. giving a, a workshop there and also a presentation on Aperture. So if people are interested, uh, you know, check it out. And I think a lot of us are going to be there, yeah. Yeah, so, I hope ahead. so. I hope we're all going to be there and we're all mm-hmm. going to be uh, kind of together. Um, well, we're definitely recording TWIP. We don't know where we're recording or exactly when we're recording, but we are recording TWIP at Macworld because that was episode one. 
exactly. was, in, was at Macworld, and Steve was there. I was. That was back in the '60s. I remember it <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> and also Twitter, 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 Twitter me please. I'm at Twitter. <laughs> I don't like the sound of that, Steve. <laughs> Sounds a little desperate. Don't do that. I know. I know. All right. Can you tone down the voice in post, Alex? (laughs) Take out the desperate. You must have a filter. (laughs) Yeah, it's a de-desperate filter. (laughs) It lowers your voice a little bit. I love Twitter. What can I say? It is fun. You know, people don't understand it. Like, Steve, you, you you can relate to this. You don't understand it when people that are in Twitter talk about Twitter. You know, they're like, you know, they're like, oh, it's just so great. And, and you have this community and, and you're like, ah, it seems a little weird. And uh, but the next thing you know, you're Twittering away. Exactly. And your followers are your children. <laughs> I like to think of them as my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, you know, the, the funny thing is, is to me, my followers are my are oftentimes my brain. You know, I, <laughs> I uh, you know, I'll try. I'll be trying to figure something out and I can't quite figure it out online. And I'll just ask it on Twitter. And literally, I have like 10 answers in uh, you know, a minute or two. It's, it's incredible. So, uh, it, it's been, um, uh, ex- you know, to me, it, it actually, uh, makes me sound much smarter than I actually am. And so, actually uh, the people you follow too. I mean, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a no yeah. lose because you're getting some inst- interesting, you know, yeah. comments and, and pushes to various sites that you wouldn't have come across and, uh, it doesn't take very much time. And that's the beauty of it too. It, I have to admit, I'm not on Facebook really, although everyone sort of pressures me that maybe you it's too complicated for me. Yeah. I, I really, I, I have a Facebook thing. I just don't do anything with it. I can't quite, you know, I'm, I'm a simple man <laughs> with uh, simple needs. So, uh, hey, Aaron, where can people find you? Uh, my blog, halfpress.com, or also on the Twitters as halfpress, H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S. And I like Steve's kind of a, the Sims approach, actually, to Twitter. <laughs> the Sims? That you're, they're your children. <laughs> if you don't log in for a while, they all die. Yeah, you know, they're, they're like your children, but you've sent your children to Swiss boarding school. So you don't really uh, have to take care of them, but you know they're in good hands. Wow, have you seen, have you, have you guys used Quitter? No, no what is that? Uh, no, you sign up to Quitter and it tells you, it tells you when people quit following you. It tells you that they quit. <laughs> And it tells you what you said when they quit. <laughs> That's fantastic. So then you can go to their house and knock on their door. Exactly. Why did you leave me? Back. Yeah, no, it was, it's really funny because I, I've, there's been a couple comments, you know, because I can be a little um, uh, crass at times or off. And uh, it's really funny that I, I'll say stuff and then there'll be like six people who quit. And I'm like, wow, that was a, that was a rough one. You know, so you know what happens when I notice when people quit, when you send a lot of like individual sort of directed at some of the followers that ask you questions and people see your little face show up too many times and they just want to get rid of you. So I think so they, they see I do that all the time. But you, what happens is I don't I don't do anything for like a uh, like a two or three days and then you'll see like 10 of them because usually it means I'm standing in a line somewhere. I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of filling time. That's what I that's you're, you're I, Alex uh, Lindsay. I mean, people just can't quit you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they can. Let me tell you. Well, you don't think people can quit you until you're until you're uh, until you're in you're on Quitter, and then you realize that people really can. Can I really just apologize you. right now to all of the, the photographers out there that really could care less about Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's the end of the show. We didn't put it at the beginning of the show. You know, if they don't want to listen, they can always turn it off. They know we're not talking about be, photography anymore. We need to warn people prior to that. They're probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be content. Ah, second. Screw now. them. 
<laughs> they all get over it. I mean, they, they probably they, they didn't hear your apology because they quit like um, <laughs> you know, a little while ago. You know, they were like, okay, I'm done. I don't really care whether the lens cap is on or off. And uh, Nicole, one more time, where, where can people find you? Well, obviously, you can find me at iStockphoto. My username mm-hmm. is Nicole Z. I, it's N I C O L E S Y. And mm-hmm. also, I'm on Twitter under the same Great. username, Nicole Z. Fantastic. And until next week, you can uh, you can either put the lens cap back on or you can take it off. We don't, we don't really know. We'll have we don't a know. definitive answer for what you should be doing by the time this poll ends, right? Exactly. Exactly. But we will know. I think we, we even need answer. lens caps. We just want that protective filter. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Screw the skylight on. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. See you later, guys. See you later. Yeah.